Good morning. Today, I want to talk to you about the power of generosity. I have to admit and confess that I've not been feeling very generous this week, partially because at the forefront of my mind, I'm aware that my little car only has a third of a tank of petrol left. And um, I've been walking around the area trying to find a petrol station, but this was what I saw basically every day this week. The pumps are empty, and I don't think I'm going to be filling up my tank any time soon. One of the most fascinating things that I've been thinking about in this pandemic is how we as humans respond to scarcity. I remember my aunt in Hong Kong calling my mum in London in January of 2020. And she was in a complete panic. And this is what she said to my mum, you need to go out right now and buy a 20 kilo bag of rice. And you also need to buy as much toilet roll as, as you can, because there's going to be a worldwide shortage and you need to get on it now. So um, you can imagine what happens next is my mum comes barreling towards me and she says, I need you to drive me to the supermarket right now so that we can buy the biggest bag of rice and fit as much toilet roll in the car. Now, many of you have not met my mum, but um, she is someone that you do not want to mess with. (laughs) But I I turned to my mum and I, I refused. I told her to stop being crazy and to calm down. I said, we were not going to run out of rice, we were not going to run out of toilet roll, and we were not going to see the supermarket shelves empty. It just wasn't going to happen. And I think you know how the story ends, because two months later, in this nation, all of those things happened. I looked briefly into the psychology of panic buying, that it's basically a human response to environmental stresses around us. So when things happen like a war or a pandemic or a natural disaster, we tend to respond to negative emotions like fear or panic or anxiety or uncertainty or lack of trust by taking our own action steps. We want to control the crisis. And that means we panic buy, we hoard and we stockpile. That is how we try and cope and how we try to regain control. Last week, Nikki mentioned that it's time to rebuild. It's time to rebuild our lives, it's time to rebuild our community, and it's time to rebuild our nation. But how do we rebuild our lives? How do we rebuild our community? What is this community supposed to look like? And who is God calling us to be? Not just individualistically, but collectively as a community. And I think there are some lessons for us to learn from the early church. In fact, I never think it's a bad idea to go back to the beginning, to look at our startup story once again. And today we're going to look at Acts 4, verses 31 to 37. And it says this, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that all there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, bought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, 
whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and bought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. How do we as a community respond during a time of scarcity? Well, I think the first thing that we're called to is to be a community that is radically dependent and trusts in God. It says here in verse 31 that after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. What you do reflects what you really believe. Who do you believe God really is? If you believe God is real, which is only really made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit, then prayer becomes the first response in every crisis in your life. Prayer becomes the first response in every crisis in our community and in our nation. Prayer is the marker of faith. When we pray, we are reminded that we are created to be in relationship with God. Choosing to pray means that we choose to look to God and not to ourselves. I have been raised and trained to be self-sufficient. So I find it really hard to be dependent on God. In fact, I would say that it is a battle every day to depend on God, to trust God, and to pray. I grew up on a council estate in London, and my dad used to work for British Telecom. And some of you may recall that during the 90s, BT had several rounds of redundancies. And when I was a child, one day I overheard my parents talking in the living room, and they were talking about what would happen if my dad lost his job. My dad was the sole breadwinner in our family. He had three young children, and he was also financially responsible for my grandma, so he would still send money back to Hong Kong. And as my dad was talking about what would happen if he lost his job, I could hear my mum panicking. I could hear the fear in her voice. And I remember as a child praying to God desperately that my dad wouldn't lose his job. And because of my parents' experience immigrating to this country, growing up, I was taught to work hard, to make practical choices, and to do everything that I possibly could to ensure that I had financial security. Because to not have financial security is to be in a place of vulnerability. I was taught not to be financially dependent on anyone, to not be a financial burden on anyone else. And if I'm honest, I have a very complex relationship with money. I ended up moving to New York and practicing law there, and I made partner when I was 29. And when I started to make money, the experience of scarcity when I was growing up made it really hard for me not to want to hoard my money or to view my money as my ultimate form of security in life. If I'm honest, money became an idol. I spent so much time thinking about it, that it began to control me. It began to enslave me. I used to think that I could make money and buy lots of stuff, and that stuff would make me happy. But actually, after the initial buzz, all of that stuff just left me empty. I remember in 2008, when the economy collapsed, 
and we face one of the most significant financial crises since the Great Depression. I looked out of my office window on the 16th floor in New York City. And as I looked down at the street, I could see people walking out of their offices with cardboard boxes because they had lost their jobs. And if I'm honest, I felt completely shaken. I felt fear, I felt panic, and I was brought back to that childhood memory. I felt vulnerable, I felt powerless, and I felt totally out of control. You may be feeling vulnerable, fearful, and anxious today at all the uncertainty in life. You're not sure what the future holds. But today I want to encourage you that even though you feel fear, you can still choose faith. Every day I still feel fear, but I choose faith over fear. You can cry out to God. You can be totally honest with him. God is not helpless. God is not powerless. God hears your prayers and he knows your needs. The early church faced difficult times. They faced persecution and attack. And I'm sure they faced real times of scarcity, but their first response was to pray because they looked to God as their father, their protector, and their ultimate provider. When they prayed, the Holy Spirit filled them and enabled them to know that God was still in control despite their circumstances. God is your father and he cares for you. It's one thing to believe that in your head. It's another thing to know that in your heart, which only the Holy Spirit can make a reality. But God cares about your heart. He wants to encounter you today and remind you that he is with you and that he cares about you. He doesn't want you to look to money to be the source of your identity and security. He wants you to look to him to be the source of your identity and security. You are a child of God. The church is filled with the Holy Spirit and two things happen as a result of their experience of God's presence and his love. They talk about Jesus and the way they see their money and possessions radically changes. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but you are so loved. You are loved so much that God sent his son to die for you on the cross. It cost God everything. It cost God his son. The cross is the ultimate sign of generosity. Jesus gave up everything for you. He spared nothing. He experienced scarcity so that you might experience spiritual abundance. He was separated from God so that you never have to be separated from God. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he is still at work today. The apostles testified to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is still alive, he is at work today, and he lives within you by the power of his Holy Spirit, and he loves you. Love is deeply sacrificial. You give to what you love. And I think every day we face a choice. We get to choose what our lives are ultimately going to be about. 
Jesus himself said that no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. One has to come first. What is money? Well, money is a measure of exchange. This is a measure of exchange. Are you going to be defined by this? Is your life going to be about the pursuit of this? Or actually, is there a different measure of exchange? Because this is a measure of exchange. When you look at the cross, you know that you are a child of God. Your brokenness is exchanged for his wholeness. Every day, this measure of exchange tells me that I am loved. I am a child of God and I belong to God and not ultimately to this world. My dad passed away quite suddenly five years ago and he was 64 years old. He was going to retire at 65 after working for BT for over 30 years. And I still believe that my childhood prayer that God would stop my dad from losing his job was somehow heard. But we all thought that we would have a lot more time with dad. I watched my dad leave this world and take absolutely nothing with him. And it was a wake-up call for me because I had to ask myself some very tough questions. What was I really living for? Whose kingdom was I really building? Grief gave me clarity. It made me think about the legacy I want to leave. I don't want to assume that I have all the time in the world. Life is fragile. The pandemic has shown us that life is fragile. I want to spend my time solving problems that really matter. So many people are lost right now, desperate for hope, looking for purpose. And we believe that true belonging, true meaning, true hope and true purpose can only be found in the person of Jesus. And I don't ever want to stop talking about it. That is probably why we will never stop running Alpha here at HTB. But every day, it isn't easy to talk about Jesus. I don't always feel brave. I struggle all the time. I don't have all the answers. I feel inadequate most of the time. But that's okay, because even when we feel weak, that just means that God's power is on greater display. The early church was radical. I love it. In verse 32, it says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. There was unity and diversity. There was genuine friendship and love across lots of different people. The early church was full of people from all different backgrounds. It was ethnically and racially diverse. It was socioeconomically diverse. It had rich people and poor people. It had educated people and uneducated people. It had men and women. And this was totally radical at the time. The surrounding culture couldn't figure out what could draw together such a diverse group of people. How could these people coexist together? The Greek philosophers at the time said that you can only have friendship with social equals, so that you stayed in your class, you would be friends, exchange benefits, help people out in the same class and the same race. But the church was different. 
class barriers were broken. Racial barriers were broken. Gender barriers were broken. Because the Holy Spirit broke these barriers down. What could possibly bring all these people together? Well, the only person who can do that is Jesus. The grace that Jesus offers is open to anyone and everyone. Everyone is welcome. We are called to be a community that is radically generous. The early church spoke about Jesus and they saw their money and possessions in a radically different way. This community was radically generous. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And because of God's grace, there was no needy person among them. From time to time, people who owned land or houses sold them and bought the money to the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who was in need. And this is a pretty big deal. Because in that time, land and possessions meant everything. I mean, owning a property in London is still a pretty big deal today. But in that time, it was all about inheritance. It was all about passing on your wealth to your children. It was all about the biological family. But as this group of people called God their father, they saw themselves adopted into a wider family. There were single people, there were widows, there were orphans, there were married people. Everyone belonged in this wider community. People who didn't have a biological family were able to be part of God's family. Wealthy Christians in the early church gave sacrificially because they'd experienced God's love. Their worldview completely changed They looked at everything through the lens of God's love and their attitude to their possessions was radically transformed because of the love they had found in Jesus. The early church loved their neighbours as they loved themselves and they gave to anyone who was in need. It was both generous and sacrificial. The early church loved people and used things. They didn't love things and use people. There are two men in the book of Acts that I have to admit are my personal heroes. And these two people are people who embody radical generosity. And the reason why they're my heroes is because I think generosity really is the most attractive quality. And the two people are Barnabas and Cornelius. In Acts 4, Barnabas, known as a son of encouragement, sold a field and bought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And in Acts 10, Cornelius, who is a centurion in the Italian regiment, which means that he's probably ripped, um, he and his family (laughs) were devout and they were God-fearing. Cornelius gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. When I grow up, I want to be like Cornelius. Barnabas and Cornelius simply point us to the most generous and attractive person that ever walked the face of the earth, Jesus. And the most encouraging thing is that the Holy Spirit who lives within us is always working to help us become more and more like Jesus, to grow in generosity, to to grow in love, to grow in our kindness and compassion. But it is a lifelong process. For many years, I have tried to understand why so many people love 
football. I know nothing about football, but I've asked many people. I've heard that football brings people together. It is full of excitement. People eat and they drink and they love watching their team win. You know, for, for some people, football is an obsession. They eat, sleep and drink football. I'm clearly on a process of understanding that. But um, I think there is a difference between being a fan and being a player. If you ask any fan, I'm sure they would do anything to have the opportunity to be a player, to be part of the team. There is a difference between being a spectator and being on the team. If you ask Sir Alex Ferguson, the former manager of Man United, he would probably say that on the team, everyone matters. From the coaches, to the club owner, to the players, to the person who serves the food in the canteen, to the person who mows the grass on the football field, to the person who sells the tickets in the booth. Everyone matters on the team. The Christian life is all about being on the team and not about being a spectator. It is about every single person playing their part. You know, God is interested in your heart more than anything else. He just cares about your heart. He cares about you. He cares about what you need. But let us be known as a community that exercises radical faith and trust in God, that will never stop talking about Jesus. And let us be a community that is radically generous with everything that we have, our time, our talents, and our treasures. In Jesus' name, amen.